Good morning. Uh, we are back this morning at studying the Ten Commandments, and today we are looking at the third commandment. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Now this commandment, the third commandment, I think is one that many of us are not uh, too bothered by. Uh, it doesn't seem to be a difficult commandment. You know, we think, okay, as long as I stay away from phrases like, oh my God, right? And say instead, gosh darn it, right? We're in the clear. We are not in violation. This commandment doesn't seem too difficult. However, having said that, while it doesn't seem too difficult for us, on the other, on the other hand, I think this commandment um, doesn't seem that applicable. Uh, it's not that convicting or uh, that edifying. I think that's how many of us think. I mean, have you ever meditated upon the third commandment? Have you ever prayed over this command? Have you ever done your quiet time with this command and you were just blown away by God's love? Oh my goodness, the third commandment changed my life, said no one ever. You know, this is a commandment that we think, okay, well, as long as we'd watch our language, we are okay. And so it makes you wonder, why would God give such a marginal command? You know, as I shared a few weeks ago, there is to the Ten Commandments a depth, there is a breadth to God's commandments here in Exodus that I think sometimes we fail to appreciate and understand. And so, going through this commandment today, uh, it's my hope and prayer that we'll have a greater understanding of God's word and his heart. And it's also my prayer that this commandment will change your life. So, let me uh, share with you the structure. Today, we'll break down this commandment into three sections. First, the what. What is this commandment teaching? Second, why. Why does God give this commandment? And third, how. How can we follow uh, this commandment? So first, what? What is this commandment teaching? Well, literally, the third commandment is telling us not to take God's name lightly. God is saying here, don't treat my name as frivolous. Don't take my name without weight. Uh, don't take my name to be something that's empty. You know, during the time of the Old Testament, it was, in fact, normal practice to take oaths or to make vows using the name of a god. Now, today, you and I, whenever we make an oath or whenever we agree to a contract, we use our own names by signing. But back then, it was, in fact, customary to swear by a higher being, namely a god, and this carried a lot of weight. You see, if you and I were living, you know, in the ancient Near East, you know, there's a really, really high probability that we would just be peasants, right? Our name had no value, we had no worth, but whenever we had to make a contract, whenever we had to swear, if we did so by invoking the name of a god, that agreement carried a lot more legitimacy. So, within that world, we find that God, he is giving to his people this commandment. He is not saying, hey, don't use my name. He is saying, don't misuse my name. 
if we can boil this commandment down and just make it simple, what God is saying is this. He's saying this. Whenever you use my name, whenever you invoke my name, don't do it just for the sake of invoking a higher power so that you can be persuasive. In other words, what God is saying here is, don't use my name so that you can get your way. Don't use my name so that you can profit. Don't peddle my name for your agenda. Don't say it's about me when it's really about you. Don't use my name to get what you want. Don't use my name in that way. Whenever you invoke my name, whenever you say my name, say it properly. Say it with the glory that it deserves. Don't sell me short. Don't devalue my name. You know, I know that many of us today, we don't make promises in God's name. We don't swear by God, but I think there are still a number of ways today in which we can potentially misuse God's name. Let me just share with you a few observations of how I think the, ter- the third commandment is transgressed today. The first example, or the first observation, is in politics. In politics. We have seen and we have heard politicians and political parties push their agendas, push their ideologies, all in the name of God. You know, it's been almost two years since America was in the middle of a heated election. And if you recall, during that time, God's name was being invoked left and right. God wants this. God wants this. This is what a Christian nation is. This is what a Christian country is supposed to be. God's name was used so often that there were so many think pieces published during that time asking the question, if Jesus was alive today, what political party would he belong to? Is Bernie Sanders the best representative of Christianity? Or is Ted Cruz the champion of Christianity? Is Donald J. Trump the best advocate for Christian views? And more and more as these think pieces came out, thoughtful Christians began to realize that there were policies on both spectrums that represented God's view. Both parties had policies that represented God's views, And this packaged ethics that we have become so accustomed to, this this package deal ethics where if you agree with one policy on one side, you have to buy it wholesale, that this doesn't work with Christianity. You see, God can be the God of a capitalist country, but he is not the God of capitalism. And God can be the God of a socialist country, But he is not the God of socialism. God can be the God of Republicans, Democrats, and independents. He is not the God of a single political party. You see, this commandment is warning us against using God's name to peddle our agendas and to say our ideology is best, our form of government is best. We must be careful not to use God's name to push a form of government wholesale. Now, not just in the realm of politics, but I think in the life of the church, 
We see this. In the life of the church, there's potential for using or misusing God's name. For instance, last week we had our annual congregational meeting, and there we shared the vision of this congregation. And while that vision follows a biblically sound model, and while that vision leads to the increase of worship, while there was consensus among the leadership, and while there was overwhelming support from the congregation, I made sure not to invoke the name of God, saying, this is God's will for us. See, even in the life of the church, we have to be careful not to misuse God's name, saying, this is what God wants from us. This is God's will. Not just in politics or in the life of the church, but the misuse of God's name occurs in everyday life, in everyday relationships. You know, I've heard far too many stories of people attempting to end relationships in the name of God, especially among young adults. I've counseled dozens of young adults who were hurt by their boyfriend or their girlfriend, using God as an excuse to break up, saying, I don't think God wants us to be in this relationship. Don't hide behind God. Don't hide behind God. And more amusing ways, I've heard of people trying to start relationships in the name of God. If you're interested in someone, they would go up to that person and, you know, weirdly say, hey, I think God wants us to be together. You know, there's that weird Christianese pickup line, right, where you go up to someone that you like and you say, hey, my name is Will, God's Will, right? Uh, you know, there's this, there's this u- the using of God to propel what you want. To say, hey, I think we should be together because that's what God wants. See, that's a power play move. Not just in relationships, but in everyday decisions. Too often Christians say things like, I feel like God wants me to do this. But it's to really suit their own interests. You know, I find it amazing that somehow God's will is always aligned with our convenience. You know, I rarely hear people say, I think God wants me to do this, and it's going to lead to suffering, but God wants me to do this. I rarely hear people say, you know, this is God's will. I think this is what God wants me to do, and for me to do this, I really have to be humble and put others first. Somehow, God's will is always for our advancement. It's always for our convenience. It's always for our comfort. It's always for our progress, for our liking. You know, the third commandment is telling us not to use God's name for our agendas. Don't use God's name for self-promotion. Don't use his name to be persuasive and to get what you want. So that is what this commandment is teaching us. The why. Why does God give this command? You know, why does he tell us here not to misuse his name? Why does he say names? Well, it's because names are really important. 
You know, names are a shorthand for everything we do and everything we are, right? I mean, how can someone summarize everything about you? How can some, someone summarize everything that you have done and everything that you are with one word? And that is by your name. Your name. You see, names are more than just a label. Names represent the person. It sums up the entirety of a single being. That's why names have the power and the ability to evoke emotions, images, and feelings. Names are a very, very powerful thing. That's why an attack on one's name is an attack on that person's character. If you attack someone's name, you're attacking that entire being, that person's entire reputation. You know, there are a few things in life more offensive, more hurtful than someone besmirching your name. You know, this reminds me of the last act in Arthur Miller's play, The Crucible. The play takes place during the Salem witch trials in Massachusetts. And the protagonist, John Proctor, he decides after being on trial and spending some time in jail, he decides, you know what, I'm going to fess up to crimes I did not commit so that I can protect my loved ones. And so John Proctor, before he's led to the gallows and hanged for crimes he did not commit, the judge and the court asks him, sign this confession. Write out what you have done and sign your name. And this bothers John Proctor. He says, hey, I confessed already. God knows how dark my sins are. Don't publicly shame my name. I have children. How can I teach them to be like men if you shame my name? And the judge says, no, you have to sign this. We need this document. It has to be public. We need proof. And Proctor then begs the judge. He says, listen, you can tell the world that I confessed. You could even say John Proctor got down on his knees and he wept like a woman. Say whatever you want about me, but my name you cannot have. And then the judge asks, what's the big deal? We need your name. And there Proctor, with the cry of his whole soul, he says this, because it is my name, because I cannot have another in my life. How may I live without my name? I have given you my soul. Leave me my name. Friends, a name is more than just a name. To slander one's name is to slander that person's entire being. To dishonor someone's name is to dishonor that person, and everyone he is or she is associated with. It is perhaps the greatest insult. That's why God, he is giving this command. He's not just simply talking about names. He is talking about his being. He is talking about his character, his essence, and his reputation. When he says, don't take my name in vain, he is ultimately saying, don't take me lightly. 
he's saying, hey, you know what? I'm not like one of your many little gods and your many little idols that you can contain. I'm not like those gods that exist just for your purpose and your pleasure. God is saying, I do not exist to serve you. I am God. Don't take my name in vain. See, this commandment, the third commandment, strengthens, it reiterates, it emphasizes once again the first and the second commandment. It puts in place who God is and who we are and how we are to view God. Not to use Him for our pleasure and our purposes. Not to use Him to get what we want. God is ultimately saying, I do not exist to serve you. He is God. That is why God says, don't misuse my name. He's talking about his entire being and who he is. So then now we should ask the question, how should we use God's name? How should we use God's name? Um... Remember, I think God is teaching us through Scripture that we can use it, right? Um, God is not forbidding the use of His name, but He's forbidding the misuse. And so we have to ask, how can we use His name? Well, I think here we can take a cue from Jesus Himself. You know, it's interesting that Jesus, during His earthly ministry, Jesus was accused time and time again of blasphemy. In other words, Jesus was accused of taking God's name too lightly. Jesus was accused many times of breaking the third commandment. You see, but the people accusing Jesus, they were mistaken. Jesus did not use God's name lightly. Instead, Jesus used God's name intimately. And there's a difference. You know, Jesus walked around and he started to call God Father. And that enraged the people because they thought Jesus was being too casual with God. They thought Jesus was misusing the name of God. And they said, how dare you call God your Father? You see, but we know from the Gospels that God didn't mind that. That wasn't transgressing the third commandment. In fact, God delighted in calling Jesus his son, and he delighted in being called father. And this privilege, this privilege of being able to use God's name intimately is not exclusive to Jesus. But this privilege is given to all those who have believed in him, and who have been united to him. The privilege of using God's name intimately is given to you and I. So going forward, how can we use God's name correctly? Well, let me just give you three practical things, three practical ways. Use God's name in praise, in prayer, and in proclamation. Okay? First, in praise. You know, time and time again, the Psalms tell us to praise the name of the Lord. For instance, Psalm 135, 
Praise the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. You see, the Psalms and Scripture tells us to praise and exalt God's name because when we do so, we are exalting God. That's why in worship, that's why in praise, it's we, we are using constantly the name of our God. Worship is filled with God's name. So we use God's name properly in praise. We praise the name. Secondly, in prayer. You know, before Jesus, he departed, he told his disciples, now, whenever you pray now, you can pray in my name. Jesus says, I'll give you my name. Use it in prayer. Jesus, he gives to us the privilege of using his name before his Father. You know, many of us have been asked, maybe by our coworkers or by our friends, you know, whenever we are in some sort of position, we've had people ask us, hey, can I use your name? Can I drop your name? Would you mind if I use your name? And yeah, there are times where we say, yeah, you can use my name. Go ahead. Sometimes people ask for recommendations. They ask, can I use you as a reference? And we say, sure, you can use my name. This is what Jesus is saying. You can use his name in prayer. This means not only just ending your prayer in Jesus' name, it means praying with Jesus' confidence. It means praying with Jesus' righteousness. It means praying with Jesus' boldness, with Jesus' audacity, with his frequency. Scripture is telling us we can use Jesus' name to go to God all the time. That's how we can use God's name properly. And third, in proclamation. You know, a central concern in Exodus is that through the rescuing of Israel, God's name might be proclaimed. So, for instance, here in Exodus 9.16, we see God, he's saying this, but for this purpose I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. God wants us to use his name, not for our advancement, but he wants us to use his name for proclamation, to share with the world how great he is. And so scripture teaches us, yes, use his name. Use the name of God. Use it in praise. Use it in prayer. Use it to proclaim God. He wants us to use his name intimately. He wants us to use his name reverentially. This is how we can use God's name. You know, in conclusion, in sum, I want to sort of wrap this up by talking a little bit about names, because we talked a lot about God's name. But let me just briefly touch on, in conclusion, on our names. You know, as stated before, names are very powerful. That's why we think long and hard about our names. And that's why we think long and hard about the names we give to our children, to our pets, even to our cars, strangely. We think hard about names, the names that we give and the names that we have received. 
You know, strangely, names exert tremendous influence over us. We don't grow out of our names. We, in fact, grow up into our names. Studies have shown that names are, in some sense, a self-fulfilling prophecy. Studies have shown that names determine who we are. Names determine how we are perceived. Names determine how we are accepted. In marketing, names are crucial for the success of a company. In the stock market, names that are easy and common and come first in the alphabet have a higher chance of being invested in, have a higher success rate, have a higher chance of going up. There is power in names. But this power is not always positive. Sometimes this power can be confusing. For instance, for those of us who've lived in two countries, you might have two names. For those of us who don't have common names, it can be a source of confusion, a source of frustration. If you don't have a common name in the place in which you're living, you always have to wonder, how is my teacher going to pronounce my name? And you always have to worry about correcting the person saying your name. When you go and order a cup of coffee, the barista asks you always, how do you spell your name? You know, sometimes names can be confusing, can be a source of confusion. Who am I? Am I this person? Sometimes names can be binding, can be limiting, can be debilitating. I had a friend named Moses, and he hated his name. When he was young, being named Moses is a very, very difficult thing. He told me he hated his name because he felt so much pressure. He couldn't do anything wrong. How could someone named Moses be called to the principal's office? He's Moses. Now, I don't know exactly what your situation is and the names that you carry or the labels that you have. But while names can be a powerful influence over us in a positive way, they can be a powerful influence over us in a very negative way as well. You know, someone very close to me, when she was young, made a mistake. And that mistake was made public. And after that mistake was made public, she had received a name. And that name followed her around for the rest of her life. And no matter how hard she tried to be stripped of that name, that power exerted so much power over her. That name shaped her. That name caused her to react in certain ways. That name caused her to hide and be ashamed. That name destroyed her for many, many years. It was a name that she had received because of a mistake that she had made. It wasn't her given name at birth, but it was a name, a label that she had received, and it shaped her so much. Some of you might understand what that's like. Maybe you were given a name, a title, a label. Maybe it was slow. 
Maybe it was overweight. Maybe it was stupid. Maybe it was useless or worthless. And even though it's just a label, that label can be powerful. Being labeled a failure can be debilitating. I don't know exactly what situation you're in, but, you know, the Bible, interestingly, just doesn't talk about God's name. The Bible just doesn't say, this is God's name. It's reverential, it's intimate, but the Bible also talks about our name. You know, in Jesus, we receive a new life, and we receive a new identity, You know, the Bible tells us because we have received a new identity, we also receive a new name. You know, Revelation 2 says this. This is Christ himself speaking. He says, to the one who conquers, I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone. And then Jesus says this, a name that no one knows except the one who receives it. Jesus says this, I will give you a new name. And no one will know that name except you and me. I will give you a name. And I will call you by that name. And that is what I will call you by. You know, in Jesus, we receive a new citizenship, a new family. We also get a new name. Revelation 22 and and throughout Revelation, Scripture tells us, that not only have we received a new name, but the name of Christ is also written on our foreheads. The name of Jesus is written on us. Isaiah 49, 16 tells us that on the palm of God's hand, our names have been engraven. It's been written on God's hand. You see, Scripture not only warns us against misusing God's name, but it encouraged us, telling us that we have received a new name, a new identity, and that name now shapes us. That name is a name in which we now grow into. That is the name that exerts extreme power over us. Let me just end this message by reading to you a prayer from Scotty Smith. Parts of this prayer can be found in his book, Everyday Prayers. Reflecting upon Revelation 2, he says this, Lord Jesus, this scripture reminds me that nothing is more central to our our identity than the names by which we live. Quite often, our most functional and formative names isn't the one on our birth certificate. Some of us have been branded with names that have shamed and wounded us deeply. And regretfully, some of us have deeply hurt others by the labels we've placed on them. All of us stand in need of your mercy and grace, which you readily and freely give us in the gospel. Whether or not there's literally a new name you'll give us in heaven, I'm not sure. But it's enough that you look at us today and you address us as beloved, mine, 
and desired. I am so grateful for the power of the gospel to rename, to renew, and release us from our old destructive labels, including the crippling ones we've given ourselves. But as much as I love my new gospel names, your name is the name that I love to hear more than any other Lord Jesus. It is by your name we're fully forgiven and declared righteous. It is by your name we are being healed of every disease and freed from every bondage. And it is at your name we will gladly bow one day with everyone in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, declaring that you are the Lord, to the glory of God. Hasten that most wonderful of all days. Join me in prayer at this time.